everybody, and welcome to another episode of Current Status. My name is Teresa Miller, and you can find me on Twitter at 24x7ITConnect. And I'm Puma Schmidt, and you can find me on Twitter as at ExchangeGoddess. And I also sound like Kathleen Turner today because <laughs> of a cold. <laughs> it's not that bad. Um, and we also have a very special guest with us this evening. Um, Jay Peter is joining us and will uh, introduce himself. Greetings. My name is Jay Peter Bruzzisi, and uh, my Twitter handle is at JP Bruzzisi. That's not easy to spell, so I'll spell it for you. B-R-U-Z-Z-E-S-E. And uh, I'm a Microsoft MVP for Office Servers and Services. Used to be Office 365. Before that, it was Exchange. Now it's Office Servers and Services. That's what I thought. I, I thought that it was Office 365. It. I thought maybe they just had too much to drink. It's like, wait huh. a minute. <laughs> no, they, they combined us all into one bucket now. The, uh, the Exchange, SharePoint, Office 365, and Yammer MVPs are all in one bucket. That's so. definitely nice. a, that's a signal of what's to become in the future. <laughs> of the product. It really is. And it's a great segue into our topic this evening in that we're going to talk about Office 365, um, talk a little bit about where it's been and uh, where it's going. So um, so with that, uh, Jay, uh, what do you think about um, the changes that we've seen in Office 365 in the past uh, several years? Well, I'll be honest with you. I think Microsoft is developing Office 365 very aggressively. It seems like every other week we're getting uh, more features or enhancements of features. So it shows that they're all in here. Uh, this isn't just a fad. You know, if for those folks who are listening who ever used BPOS, the Business Productivity Online Suite, uh, that felt very unstable. That felt like they really weren't putting a lot of effort into it. This feels completely different. This is the future of their company, and they know it. Uh, they're putting a lot of effort not just into Exchange, which is kind of the front runner. Very few people move to Office 365 because they want Yammer, right? That's uh, there are a lot of. <laughs> do do people want Yammer? Do they really <laughs> want Yammer? <laughs> I have to laugh when you, when yeah. you say people want Yammer. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's it's really on their list of things. It's way down at the bottom, if ever. You know, uh, I think people do want. Um, real-time instant messaging and that's where companies like Slack have done well because uh, or Jive you know they have these real-time instant messaging and collaboration solutions that are, are kinda unique and different and Yammer uh, kinda had that feel too until Microsoft bought them and sometimes that kinda ruins it when Microsoft acquires a cool company like Skype here they acquired Skype it was very cool and, and now it's kinda floundered and now they're bringing it back they're finally figuring out what to do with this thing um, but it's been years so uh, I think Yammer is kind of in a, in a similar boat. Uh, when you buy something and integrate it, it, it doesn't necessarily retain its coolness factor. Uh, and it would have been the same if they acquired Slack or any of these other solutions, I think. So, but yeah. the main I, thing. I would agree. Right? Yammer is confusing. I, I think it hasn't it's it hasn't matured yet. Yeah, it, I mean, as a product within the Microsoft family of products. I think it will have more value when they can integrate it more so with Exchange, and that's what they're working on, obviously, is a way to make all of these different pieces work together. Uh, right now, I feel like the weakest link in the package is actually SharePoint Online. 
Uh, I know it, for smaller businesses, it works really well, and they think, wow, this is great, because they haven't set up SharePoint Server. Uh, that was too much effort for their environment. And now, all of a sudden, because they have Office 365 accounts, now they have SharePoint Online as well. So they're thrilled. But for those folks who have server farms, SharePoint server farms, it's not a one-to-one, -one, not even close. No, it's not. Uh, no, not no. close at all. Yeah, we're, we're a big SharePoint farm, and it's it's nowhere near what... Um, what the capabilities, what we can do on-prem. Sure. So I think, and that's odd actually because SharePoint, you know, in and of itself is a web-based solution. So you would have thought yeah. that that would have been the first thing going. But they've put a ton of effort into Exchange. We see they're putting more effort into it. Um, they're, they're trying to really harden it and uh, make it something that can grow. Here they've got it into the millions. But Office 365 is set to uh, really dominate the entire market the same way that Exchange on-premises does. And we're going to see a, a shift where currently there's still a, the majority of installations and the majority of mailboxes is still currently being handled on-premises with Exchange. Uh, we will see that tipping point where we move from Exchange on-premises to now more mailboxes being run in the cloud. And Microsoft will certainly let us know when they think we've reached that point. Uh, and so we're not there yet, but that's where we're going. We're going towards a new monopoly. Exchange is the current monopoly. We'll see a new monopoly in Office 365. And uh, I think it's because Microsoft is making it so appealing, uh, not just because it's got a good price point, but they're hardening it. They're making it better. Uh, however, there are still gaps. There are still you know areas where there are these gaps. And uh, I think that that's not something that we should be surprised about. Uh, this cloud thing is very new still. And it's not really the gaps in the cloud that I think uh, we're seeing, especially with Exchange Online. What we're seeing is the same gaps in the cloud that we have with on-premises Exchange. Uh, you so, know, it's uh, sorry to cut you off, but is that the same thing though? It's Exchange. It's just it's not it's not on-prem. Still, right, it's still the exchange. It's still the same Exchange servers that you're running on-prem, but it's being hosted by Microsoft. So it's to me, it's really no different. Um, it's just you don't have somebody dealing with the headache of running hardware or virtual machines. Right. Here's the difference, though. Um, on-premises, when you've got Exchange, nobody just deploys an Exchange server on-premises and walks away and says, we're good, we're done. <laughs> you know? No. That, that, that's no. ridiculous, right? <laughs> but we look to, uh, typically, we look at what Microsoft provides for several different pieces. For example, backup recovery. Uh, so there's Windows Backup, but nobody usually uses Windows Backup. I mean, unless you're a really poor shop and you can't afford a backup solution, nobody's using that. So what Thank do you, you do? for your honesty on that. Thank you, because <laughs> you're the first person that will actually admit to say no one really uses it, because nobody really does. Very nobody easy. does. Yeah. I've, made no, but the, I've made tons of videos on it, on how to use it, if you had to use it. Yes. And But I don't recommend I was just going to say that. Anywhere you look online, though... And that's when you talk about restores. That's what everybody uses as the the base point examples. So right, well, because it's there. And I think the the dilemma is is that if you're going to make a video on how to restore Exchange mailboxes or mail or or the whole server, the databases, whatever, um, if you choose a product, now you kind of pigeonhole yourself into that product because the product itself has its own sometimes its own lingo and its own way of doing things. Um, and rather than do that, stay broad with Windows Backup. And then anyone can take that information to a new product. 
whether it's Commvault backup, you know, recovery or something from Semantic, or so you can take that knowledge from the base and go out there. But in real life and in real world scenarios, I would I would never use Windows backup unless that was really all I had, you know. Um, yeah. So that's one example. You've got the backup recovery side, but everybody knows that you also look to a monitoring solution as well. Uh, you know, the, what, what monitoring do we have in Exchange, right? So of course you go right. to some kind of maybe you go to System Center. That's kind of convoluted sometimes. <laughs> uh, Enow has a great solution. There's Mailscape, which I love because I love the the fact that it's got these really big uh, buttons in a in a GUI that makes it easy to see when things are good. They're simple. green. Yeah, it's simple, right? Um, I, I agree. And then you've got like your your backup, uh, not your backup, your um, your security solutions. Nobody just trusts Exchange to handle security. Uh, you know, you typically have some kind of appliance, let's say. Uh, you, so you have this appliance, maybe a Barracuda appliance, or maybe you go with a, a cloud-based solution. Uh, maybe it's Mimecast or one of the other solutions that are out there. But you go with something, right? Um, same with archiving. Archiving is big with Exchange. Uh, nobody just trusts what's built in. They they usually go with a, a third-party appliance or cloud-based solution. Well, uh, there has been a, a more of a trend to go with native Exchange archiving. I've, I've noticed that. And that's I, more I, from a cost savings perspective um, because some of the big archiving vendors meant for enterprises, one, it's too costly. Um, and some of the functions and features you're getting are, are basically the same as the native Exchange archiving. See, and I've seen that used more for like PST replacement as well. The Microsoft product works really great in that space. I'm, I'm evaluating the the built-in native archiving ju just to see if there's any cost savings, because I, I won't name what vendor we're using, but you know, I want to see. Hey, it, it it looks like it does everything I need it to do, and I got this other product that I'm paying a lot of money for, and. I've got to babysit it 24-7, and I really don't want to do that. You know, that's a FTE right there. If I can reduce that, that would be great. Not to reduce the person, but reduce the workload. I guess my opinion on that in terms of what's built in is Microsoft provides this in-place archive, and that's I prefer to call it a PST repository. I think it's great for the movement of PSTs mm -hmm. off of desktops, which you know we know the story here. We know how this all kind of formed. We started with uh, mailboxes that had to be put on quotas because storage was expensive. So then people complained because they like to pack rat their email. So PSTs yeah. became an easy way to resolve the problem. We said, you know what, great, here, you, you take care of your own email. Just get it off of my server, and now you're responsible for it. Um, and that was great until we had all these Enron scandals and so forth in 2001, the, the sexual harassment lawsuits, the, the various, um, you know, data leakage uh, lawsuits that have taken place. So we have all these regulations now, HIPAA, Patriot Act, Sarbanes-Oxley, all, uh, all these regulations that we need to be compliant with, and that's where the archive came into play. And the archive, you know, in-place archive is still not an enterprise-grade solution. It's not even an archive, really. All it is is a secondary location in your inbox uh, or connected to your inbox where you can keep that in a separate uh, on a separate set of disks. So you can put it on a cheap JBot array instead of your high performance, you know, perhaps SAN solution. But what Microsoft says is, hey, listen, you can do that, but if you want to have that archive feeling, you have to put legal hold on all your mailboxes. Mm -hmm. So legal hold was never meant to do that. It was never meant to be an archive solution. It was meant to be a way for human resources or whoever was managing you know, this situation when someone comes in with litigation 
and says, hey, Mr. Nasty is sending emails that uh, he shouldn't be sending. And you say, no problem, we have to put his mailbox on legal hold. Done. And now that now he can't uh, delete anything from his mailbox. Now, here's the funny thing. He can delete stuff. He thinks he's deleting it, but it goes in this recoverable items behind the scenes folder. Right. Well, that's great. But now, what are we saying then? We're saying legal hold with the in-place archive and all of this other stuff, uh, that this compares in some way to an enterprise-grade archive solution? I mean, with an enterprise-grade archive solution, uh, the end user, especially if you've got a little add-on in Outlook, the end user can go and find their own email that maybe they've, they can't find. They've deleted it, it's gone, but they can go to the archive. That reduces administrative overhead. You can't do that with legal hold. With legal hold, they can't do their own search of the archive. Um, it's really a convoluted solution if what you really need is an enterprise-grade archive solution. However, if you don't, in, in the case of people who are looking and saying, you know what, I'm paying for this archive, and I don't really need that, great, ditch it. You know, But you might not necessarily want the in-place archive with legal hold either. You know, um, I, I think it's, you know, people say, well, is it a, a no-go in terms of the solution? Well, here's the value of it. Put the two together, in-place archive with legal hold, and you do have discoverability. So if that's really what you need and all you need, you've got it. Um, I just think it's a, a bad solution on-premises because now your storage is going to bloat. Oh, yeah, uh, but it bloats with, um, you know, an archiving solution. Well, it's it true, does. too. Yes. Yeah, it, it, it bloats in there, and there um, it may even bloat two or three times more than what you're really expecting because you may be replicating to different data centers as well. So there are also cloud-based options that can manage the archiving pretty nicely as well. Of course, there's a fee with that, but letting there's somebody else manage that space, um, I think, can can also be a nice option. Well, one of the things I like about using a third party, especially with Office 365, is with Office 365, there is no backup and recovery. Uh, they don't right. provide that. There's their native data protection, which is good for availability of the data in the moment. But if you deleted something several months ago and you went past the deleted item retention time, which by defa default is 14 days, uh, you can do a remote PowerShell connection and you can up it to 30 days. Uh, but if you go past that, it's gone. And you might say, well, wait a minute. If, if I get the CEO of my company who says, I, I dropped an email here. I can't find it. It's deleted. Can you get it back? Um, I'm going to call Microsoft and they're going to restore it. Well, well no. no, they're not. No <laughs> There's way. no backup. Mm -mm. But if you have an archive solution, a, a real archive solution, and granted, even if you have it on legal hold, it'll, it'll do the same thing. But with an archive solution, what I like is that your data is separate from the service itself. This allows you to run a leaner mailbox. It allows you as well to decide, you know, I mean, we all think that we're going to go from exchange on-premises to exchange online and love it and stay there. But in the event you ever did decide in the future you want to move to a new solution, you can move the service off of Office 365, but take your archive with you your archive in the cloud just switches to the new service. So I, f I like that feeling. I don't like feeling like, you know, Microsoft says you can you can leave anytime you want, right? And I think that's kind of a funny line because it always makes me feel mm -hmm. like Hotel California, you know, where <laughs> they say, right? You know, they You're say really you can leave anytime yeah. you want, but you can never leave. And that's because when you move your mailboxes up to Office 365, maybe they're, you know, a gig, right, or half a gig or whatever. But once you turn on this in-place hold, and you start bloating out that mailbox, I mean, oh my goodness, you're never leaving. And that's brilliant, you know, Microsoft's like, yeah, we don't want you to leave, we want you to stay. Right, they're like crack you know. dealers, man, they give you a little bit. <laughs> that's it, they give you a taste and that's it. Oh, oh I need goodness, more, I need give that. me more. <laughs> 
I think you just called them Microsoft crack dealers. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> they are, though. I think they are, they are notorious. Here's a free trial. You know what? We're going we're gonna to let you come in, and I'm going to give you a special discount. You know, you got two rocks for the price of five. Yeah. And, and you take you know, take a couple lines. You're like, you know, I like this stuff. And you're hooked, and you want more. So then, you know, they give you more for free. Next thing uh-huh. you know, your whole enterprise is up there, and then you get the bill for your renewal, and you're like, oh, well, I, I don't need money. And you want to go out, and then you're stuck. You're stuck. You're like, there's no rehab for this. <laughs> then they send people to come and talk to you, right? A couple of guys, you know, show up at your door, sure, yeah. and they're like, you owe us the money. Shows up. You know a lot about this. You know a lot. Of, you know. <laughs> the guys that own the Italian restaurants that nobody ever goes in, but it's always open. <laughs> right. <laughs> the guys that come out, yeah. I like how you threw the Italians in there. You just you know, <laughs> went after Microsoft. Now you just threw in the whole Italian thing. That's that's great. <laughs> that's right. You're you are Italian, aren't you? Or part Italian? That's that's what the last name would suggest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about the Russians? Okay. So you go after the Russians. <laughs> My boss is Russian. Okay. Which is yeah. Well, you know the restaurants that no one ever goes to, but it's always they always stay in business. Come on, we all know there's something going on there. Uh-huh. But yeah, those guys come out and you know they talk to you. Next thing you know, you you sign your agreement again. You're crying and shaking because you want to get out, but you can't because you're you can't. You're, you're stuck. Well, so you know, it's it's interesting. <laughs> you're hooked. There's no rehab, as far as I know. No well, Betty Ford. <laughs> no Betty Ford from so, Microsoft. <laughs> from what I not from Microsoft. I've heard of Betty Ford though. For uh, for organizations, there like a few years ago, they were tr- there were companies moving away from Office 365. Yeah, I felt like yes. I felt oh. like it was more of a trend at that time. And so maybe like, right. uh, two years ago, there there, there was now, a big jump to jump was, out. Yeah, so they they found Betty Ford. <laughs> well, maybe it was like a, some rehab clinic in California or somewhere that was pretending to be Betty Ford because I don't uh-huh. think it really took off. Well, so, so, so the marketing suggests that people are moving now, but right. I'm curious if there's any data that shows people Oh, there's leaving. data. No, well, uh, well, actually, so I'll be honest with you. I have, How accurate I have, is it? How construed is it? Well, that, and that's the thing. I like, I like to talk. When I'm, when I'm looking for outside numbers, I look at Michael Osterman. You know, I think he's pretty good at coming up with, uh, you know, again, these are still statistics. They're just numbers. But I think that because he's not paid by Microsoft to come up with his stats, you know, it, it, there's value to that. So I like Michael Osterman stuff. Um, but in terms of people going, coming and going, um, I have been traveling. I've been doing a road show, actually, that's sponsored by Mimecast, and they've been sending me all over. So um, I did one in Detroit. I did one in uh, Indianapolis. I uh, just came back from Colorado and Houston, and next week I'm going to London. And Ooh. talking to, yeah, that's it'll be nice. I actually have some nice meetings set up in London, um, a couple of dinner events, a breakfast event. Um, what's great is I get to talk to real customers, um, not just at these events, but on the phone as well. I get a chance to talk to some of these folks. Some really big organizations are either making the move to Office 365 or have made the move. Uh, six months ago, I talked to a railroad in the middle of the country. I can't disclose names, but um, 45,000 end users, uh, mailboxes, they moved to Office 365. Uh, they had a few gaps, kind of like what we were talking about here, gaps with security, gaps with archive, gaps with availability, you know, and they were looking at ways to, to mitigate that. But 
then I've also seen, I met with a, a man who had 5,000 mailboxes, moved them all up to Office 365, didn't like it, moved them all right back down. Um, and I thought that was kind of interesting that he made the full jump because what a lot of folks do, do is they set up the hybrid connection. Uh, mm -hmm. And by doing that, it puts them in a position where they can onboard and offboard mailboxes at will. And they try a few mailboxes, you know, maybe they try a department, uh, maybe they try, you know, a certain section that they know that uh, they're going to have these test users that can handle any kinds of change, because it, it is a change. Um, and then they test it out first, and if they don't like it, fine, then they can come back down. But, um, you know, it's it was rare to see someone move 5,000 mailboxes and then say, I don't like this, and move them all back. But it's doable. It is doable. I think what I'm seeing now, though, is... Um, more and more companies are making more and more moves in, in that direction. Uh, they're not just putting 10 mailboxes or 100 mailboxes up and leaving it. Because that was the concern a year or two ago, that there were all these hybrid configurations that took forever to actually establish. And then people were moving mailboxes, just a handful, and that was it. And Microsoft was worried. This is their future. They needed to get more and more people in there. I think what's turned the tide is actually not something Microsoft has done marketing-wise or sales-wise, I think that they focused on the product. They resolved the issues in the product. They made people trust it more, and then they started to say, you know what, there's some real value here. And then they started to move more mailboxes to it. And I think we're going to see that trend continue, that as they continue to put their effort into the product, people will trust it more. Um, and so, yeah, I'm thrilled with that because I, I, I love it personally. And what about like hybrid? Like, do you find that people are leaving their environments in a hybrid mode? Like, I've kind of heard like that's a no-no, but at the same time, it seems so practical um, to do that. As long as, from what I've read, if you keep your versions up to date, like on the on-prem, that you really can leave yourself that out or leave yourself that mixed configuration if there's business value. Right, yeah, you can leave it in hybrid mode indefinitely at this point. No one is, is forcing you out of that mode. Um, I, th I think a lot of people actually are opting to stay in hybrid because of so many legacy systems on-prem on that it, I think the fear of potentially breaking something or something not working that's, you know, a tier one app. Um, right, and, and there's that, that business value. Yeah, that's yep. what I've heard is pretty much most people, if they've gone to Office 365, it's it's hybrid. It's just right. a fear of, like, what am I going to break if I do cut off the strings and I'm completely in the cloud? Oh, I've just heard the recommendation right. multiple times that you should move away from hybrid. Like, you shouldn't leave it there forever. But I actually read something the opposite of that, though, recently. Gosh, I can't think of where I read it, but... It was almost like Microsoft is, is stating that you should stay in hybrid if you have legacy systems. Maybe I'm just had too much wine. <laughs> well, <laughs> what, I, what I recommend to folks, because I get that question a lot, actually. Um, should I stay in hybrid? How long should I stay in hybrid? And ultimately, what I say to them is you should remain in hybrid for as long as it takes for you to either feel more comfortable about the decision you've made and then make the full move or until the problems that cause you to stay in hybrid are resolved. Um, and I'll give you one good example. We had a company that was based in Boston. They had 3,000 mailboxes. And um, they had a unique situation where they had a, a branch satellite office in China, in Beijing, 500 mailboxes. Well, so what was happening is, is there was a great deal of latency for those folks trying to get their mail from the servers that were in, in Boston. So what they finally did was they put servers in Beijing. Well, that resolved the problem. 
because now there would you know there would be no latency for those users. Great. Well, now they're thinking about moving to Office 365. Now, one of the problems with a company that has multiple locations is that you can only choose one region for your Office 365 mailboxes. Currently, you're not allowed to say, well, I'm going to put half my mailboxes, let's say, in, uh, in Redmond, in the North America site, and I'm going to put the rest in Ireland, or I'm going to put some over here in Indonesia, or some down in Brazil. You know, there are a lot of different data centers that Microsoft has, and, and they're actually opening up more. But you only get to choose one region at this time. Well, so if we put the 3,000 mailboxes in Boston, if we put them in a North American region, what about those Beijing users? Well, the thing is, is that by staying in a hybrid configuration, now they can retain their exchange servers right where they are. The, the latency is not going to be an issue for them. And so until Microsoft either, A, allows for mailboxes to be split between regions, or B, uh, unless you know they actually enhance the quality of the connection from Beijing to the U.S. and they don't have this latency issue, whatever was causing it, um, they need to stay in that hybrid mode for the duration. And so th they don't have a choice. If they want to go to Office 365, they need to do it with, you know, either accept the latency or they need to stay in hybrid. So we just recommended they stay in hybrid and not worry about it. You know, there's no there's no statute of limitations on it. It's not like after you know so many days it says, oh, sorry, your hybrid is done. So yeah, you can stay indefinitely at this point. I like that option, and I I like that it contradicts what I had read because <laughs> I think it's more realistic. I mm -hmm. think it's definitely more realistic long term. Yeah, the other thing is, you know, with a hybrid mode, you can have mailboxes in the cloud. That uh, what's cool about it is it maintains a single global address list. Um, mail flow can go either through. Office 365 and then down to on-premises or can continue to go through your on-premises environment and up to the cloud. So you can determine that. So you're not actually being forced to adjust your services even. If you have a current infrastructure that you would appreciate where you have, you know, let's say an appliance or you have some kind of encryption or something on-premises that you need to use, Microsoft isn't saying, well, no, you can't use that if you go to a hybrid. The mail flow can continue to flow down and out. You know, what, about, what about MDM? Uh, that's a good question. That you know, that I don't know in terms of uh, once you move to Office 365. You know, there are MDM tools that I don't know if they can reach out to Office 365 as well. That's not my uh, area of expertise. What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you can't know everything, you know. What, what um, do you no. mean? Come on, you have to know everything. <laughs> my no, biggest, yeah. you know, areas right now are security, archiving, and continuity. Those are the things I talk most about, um, with a big emphasis on security. Oh, you that's know, big for everybody, though, security. I think um, mm -hmm. that's sure. has been huge the past two years is how how to secure our data. You know what's interesting is I had an, a good chat with uh, some of the Microsoft folks when we were up for the MVP Summit, and uh, this isn't under NDA, so I can, I can tell you about this. Um, we had a conversation about defense in depth. It's something I'm a proponent of. Uh, yes. where Microsoft provides this free Exchange Online Protection solution. It's free. Um, and yet I always recommend a third-party solution get bolted on to the front of that. Um, Absolutely, yes. Yeah, and added I think layer that's, of protection. Right, an added layer. Well, he asked me an interesting question because he said, well, he says, why do you recommend that? And I, he said, is it because you don't feel EOP is up to par with any of these enterprise-grade enterprise solutions? And I said, okay, yes, that's that's true. I don't believe that currently. 
I said, but I do know that you guys are aggressively developing your solution. And eventually, you will, you will reach the point where you are neck and neck with any world-class enterprise-grade solution. I will give you that. He says, okay, and then what, what will you recommend? Will you then say, um, okay, now you can just go with EOP? I said, no. And he said, why? And he said, are you, uh, are, are you just sort of slanted against Microsoft's solution in this regard? I said, well, okay. I have to think about that because maybe I am. Maybe after 30 years or 20 years or whatever it is that I've worked in this business, um, I've never trusted Microsoft to secure Microsoft. I've never said, let's use Microsoft to secure Microsoft. I've always said, let's use somebody else to do it. Um, I, I've appreciated certain efforts, like I love Windows Defender. I actually like that on my desktop. Um, but there are other efforts that I've just seen the gaps in. So I said, so maybe I am a little slanted you know, against that. I said, but I, I believe in defense and depth, but I also believe in security through obscurity. If everyone is using Office 365, and we've already said, you know, I've said that they, that will be the case. In the next couple of years, everyone will be on Office 365. There will be a tipping point away from Exchange on-premises. So if everybody's using that, and then if everybody also decides to use Exchange Online Protection and doesn't go with some kind of other solution, or whatever that solution might be, the bad guys know exactly what platform you're on and they know exactly what security solution you're using. There is no security through obscurity. They know exactly what you've got. And so now you become an easier target. Whereas if they don't know what's in front of Exchange Online Protection, if they don't know that you have, let's say, a Mimecast or some other third-party solution on the front end, right, protecting the front lines, well, then they don't really know where to come at you from. And the nice thing is having that double defense system even if they're actually equal in terms of capabilities, but having that extra layer, to me, it's it's kind of like down in Florida we have these gated communities, you know. But there's a police force. Why do I need to live in a gated community? Well, I'll tell you what, because you feel more secure when you've got that security in your community, you know. And yes, you can always call the police, you know, for anything extra. But it's nice to have that extra layer, you know, someone who's right there keeping you safe. And I think it's like kind of the same thing, that it's nice yeah. to have double protection with exchange. I, I think, you know, this is why I enjoy talking with you. You're so realistic um, because most most admins in the real world, we all think this the same way, you know. Why would you throw all your eggs in one basket? Mm -hmm. Just diversi diversifying your layers of protection only increases your protection for, for you. Um, you know, just throwing all your eggs in one basket just seems kind of, Silly to me. It's right. like, it's like, okay, well, I'm gonna use, you know, X Y Z vendor for everything across the board. Okay, so you're gonna have all the same virus stats. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, it's funny. Right. It's it, funny it allows it allows you to be able to take advantage of, um, you know, updates ahead of time. Potentially, you might even have a vendor that works in a time zone ahead of yours. They're potentially applying updates before, you know, the next vendor you're using. So I am in favor of something that someone else yeah, can catch. That I'm in favor of stacking two. I like two in the front. I think that um, the more, the more the better. <laughs> you know, like you, you have one vendor on your hubs, um, and, and you know, something else for your spam filter that also does a virus scanning as well. You could do. I mean, there, there's different layers of that, and then potentially in your desktops, um, another vendor for desktop scanning, and you know the Outlook plugin. 
You can, yeah. you can have up to three layers, maybe even four from the router perspective, from, from the network layer. Sure. You know, one of the challenges with Office 365, it's different from our on-premises environments, is that with on-premises, you can go with different vendors for every different piece that you want to plug up. Mm-hmm. Like we yeah. mentioned, you know, with, with monitoring, you can go with eNow or with backup recovery, you can go with somebody else. And um, and we love that about that. The difference with on with uh, Exchange Online and Office 365 is that you really don't want to daisy chain too many solutions in front of your Exchange environment because that'll create extended latency. Uh, you don't sure. want your mail hopping from one data center to another to another. So one of the challenges that I found when I started to promote Office 365 I was doing it from a position of weakness because I didn't have a solution that fit. Um, I had multiple solutions instead. I had all of these different pieces, and I was like, well, okay, I, I can offer them only one, right? Because I don't want to daisy chain three solutions. I can offer them a security piece, or I can offer them an archive piece, or I can you know, give them something else. But um, what I've been recommending to folks is that they look for an all-in-one solution to bolt on. A company that... Um, and, I, and I like for I, when they're looking for one of these, I need for them to go beyond um, just what they read on a web page about the solution because what a lot of companies are doing is they're merging efforts. And you, you can almost see this in some of their products because uh, they might have their security piece and maybe they were a security company to start with. So that's really solid and the, the GUI is really nice for that. And then you see this like Frankenstein piece for an archive solution or something else that they may be bought from somewhere else and it's got like you know the, the one color scheme is like blue and yellow and then the next page it's like brown and orange and you're like what did they do here but they're scrambling at this point they know that Microsoft is trying to you know get everyone in their solution and in order for them to do that and this is kind of what we were talking about earlier it is different from exchange on premises in that with exchange on premises we have exchange but with the cloud they're offering all these extra pieces like Exchange Online Protection for free. And uh, then they have these these extra pieces for, you know, the archive. They allow your mailbox to grow and kind of, you know, make that Hotel California effect. So there is a difference there. Uh, there's even some additional monitoring that's included in Office 365. It's not great, but, it, but they're building on it. So they're trying to kind of take over that third-party world. So if you're going to, you know, go for a third-party solution, and I, and I always recommend that you do with Office 365, find one that's a good all-in-one that kind of hits all of those pieces together. You know, it's funny you mentioned all your eggs in one basket because somebody made a funny joke about that. They said it's it's even weirder than putting all your eggs in one basket. You're putting all your eggs in the same basket that everyone else is putting their eggs into. Ooh, I like all that. Right. One. Right, it's a little the same basket. Right, Everybody. you're sharing the same basket. Yeah. Huh. What if the basket breaks? What happens then? I think all the eggs crack. That's the thing, and it's not just yours. It's that's their eggs. That's a lot of eggs. That's a lot. Yeah. That's, that's the risk. risk. That's, right. that's the risk. Scrambled eggs. Yeah. But, but that's yeah. the reward too. See, and that's where Microsoft says that's a good thing because it's kind of like a bank. You know, you put all your money in the bank. What's the what are the odds that your money's going to get stolen? Uh, plus, the bank is insured, right? So they they call it a data bank in that regard. Um, as opposed to a data prison, right? But yeah, but what happens you know, though? What happens if those those eggs crack and there's yolk leaking out everywhere? 
<laughs> that's a bad thing. That's big trouble. That's, yeah, it's I mean, kind of gross. Know, do I want those eggs back after they've touched other people's eggs? I don't know. I don't yeah, want those eggs. That, that's, you can get salmonella poisoning, and trust me, I've had that. You don't <laughs> want that. I don't like eggs that much. Yeah, I was sick for like three weeks, okay? I'm still dealing with it a year later. Yeah, that'd be awful if our email got salmonella. Oh, God. That's, uh, email salmonella. Man, I'm going to use that. I'm so going to take that one. I am but taking that just, one. I mean... The potential is there, though. The crack dealer illustration and the salmonella poisoning. I'm going for both. I'm all I'm all for it because I'm lazy, and if I don't have to, if I don't have to manage it, and someone else is managing it, yeah, you know, send it off. Right. Um, (laughs) but at the same time, you know, I have to sit back and think. Well, what happens if my data is compromised? Or, you know, there's a big leak and right. cracks of yolk is just coming out. I mean, I think Target, Home Depot. That's true. And you know what happened with a lot of those situations? Those were spear phishing attacks. You know, So there's two ways to look at the security of your data, right? There's uh, data at rest and data in motion. And, and Microsoft, uh, the, the Office team, they have a really cool site. It's the Office 365 Trust Center. And you I, just do a I've search for that. that. Oh, it's fantastic. They've got some really great videos. Julia White is in one of them, and they have some of the other guys. Um, and, you know, they just they do a great job of putting you at ease in terms of giving them your data. They show how uh, they have redundant protection, and their data centers are super protected. And um, personally, I think anyone who, who is nervous about that should definitely go to the Office 365 Trust Center, and they will allay those fears. But... Where the biggest fears always are when it comes to data is the end user, right? They say that's the weakest link. And so the problem with spear phishing, right? This is the the most maniacal thing ever. Spear phishing is becoming more and more the way that you get at a company because phishing, I mean, if you're looking for identity stuff, you know, phishing is kind of, you could teach people not to click on phishing type links, right? You know, they get an email and it's like, hey, this is from Dinosaur Bank. And I didn't know there was a Dinosaur Bank and I didn't know I had an account at Dinosaur Bank, and they're saying I should give them my, you know, social security number. You could yeah. teach people not to do that, but think, I'll tell yeah, you, think before you click. Right, but I'm going to tell you a personal experience, and it's not to embarrass myself, but it, it just—it's a true story, and I think it highlights how maniacal and uh, deceptive spear phishing can be. So a couple of months back, I was out in Dallas, and I was speaking to a, a group of, uh, it's, what is it, CISO, uh, secure chief in chief. Executive security, I don't know, I don't know how, what the acronym stands for, but it's basically your security officers as opposed to your CIO, it's the CISO. Um, oh, yes, I've, I've right. heard of that group. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so it was fantastic. I'm, you know, I'm on this program and I was really thrilled to be there. I was interviewed by one of these guys about some of the same stuff we're talking about here. But uh, there was another guy in the program. There were only two of us, and I never looked to see who the other guy was. So the night before the event, I check out who the other guy is that I'm speaking with or he was coming on after me. It's Kevin Mitnick, and uh, Kevin is like well known as the FBI hacker who went to jail for four years, and now he he can break, basically break into any company, and they people hire him like the movie Sneakers, you know, they hire him to break in. He's never failed. Well, he gets up on the stage and he starts talking about some of these issues with uh, users and how quickly they'll give up information and and the the scary side to that. Within a matter of two minutes, using legitimate websites, he stole a woman's identity. Right? He asked for wow. her name. He got her name, and then in two minutes' time, he uh, he got her driver's license, her ma- mother's maiden name, her birth certificate. Like He got everything in two minutes' time. Oh, right I, 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 I would agree with you. It's very easy. If you wanted to find out information 
um, about certain companies. The easiest thing to do is get to know the CEO's admin or some executive admin because they 99.9% of the time have full mailbox access rights to the executive. Mm-hmm. And all you kind of do is just, you know, mm-hmm. right. work your way That's with That's a good admin. point. Yeah. I mean, they, they have the passwords they have the pa- and they have the power. Have the passwords. Even though they're not supposed to, they still do. Um, and they, you know, and then they have full mailbox access on their Outlook profile, so they see all the emails that come through. All you gotta do is go to the admin's desk, and you can see every single confidential email that the executive has. You can see if there's acquisitions or mergers. I mean, mm-hmm. it's you don't need to go to the executive; just go to the admin. So here's all you the gotta thing. Do. So you can use LinkedIn to determine who who's the CEO, who who's the you know the assistant, and you can find these people. Mm-hmm. You can use social media to find out when the CEO, because he likes to post on Instagram when he's in you know Australia on vacation. And now you know he's away, and right. so now you you kind of well, can pick your, do that. Your Just you know, find out who he is, find someone in the company, you find out who the secretary is, who the I'm sorry, executive assistant, <laughs> find that out, um, you know, and from there, and I'm sure she's on Instagram or Facebook, Snapchat. Yeah, right, it's, so, not, it's not that hard. <laughs> yeah, social media creates a giant hole. Don't even you don't even know if the CEO's away. That he doesn't need to be away. That's because true. If the, if the admin already has access, that's all you need. And well, you know, so here, some of them already have, they got the password. They can go into the, and they can connect. I mean, I've even seen some admins have their executives email on their phone. <laughs> now, when I, I, I will say I, I do not approve of that situation <laughs> just because it, it's just, the, the people that you should protect the most are your your upper level, your senior management, because they hold, you know, a lot of confidential data. And mm. but they are notorious for the ones that don't want passwords. They you know they don't want their their mobile devices locked. They want to have, uh, you know, a one letter password, things like that. But it's like, do you understand that you know, you have a lot of data? And how would you like it if some stranger? Picks up your phone and says, "Oh wow, X Y company, you guys are gonna buy, you know, X company for two or three billion dollars," and they leak that out. I mean, that's not cool, but you know, it it happens. Mm-hmm. And all you gotta do is just get to know that admin, and you can find anything out. Well, so, so what happened? <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. You know, what happened to me was um, I decided after being on this conference with Kevin Mitnick to write an article about this, and it was for InfoWorld. I write their Enterprise Windows column. And so uh, I wrote it on a Tuesday, and it went live on a Wednesday. And it was all about how you know spear phishing is so maniacal, and how you have to be careful on what you click, and you need to even look at having solid solutions, uh, technology to help protect your end users. The whole thing. That same day, um, I work with a variety of different companies, so I have different email addresses. That same day, I get an email. Uh, it's from the CEO of the company, and he's saying, "Hey, you know, Jay Peter." Uh, your, our numbers have changed a bit, and we're looking at your consultation, and we're looking at maybe changing our agreement. Um, here's a, a spreadsheet of the numbers, and tell, tell us what you think. And I was like, what? See, he hit right to the core. He went right to the money, right after the money mm-hmm. with me. And I was like, what What do you mean the numbers have changed? What What is that going to mean for me? Click. I clicked the link. Oh, no. And, oh, oh, yeah, I clicked the link. And the funny thing was is it was a test, and I failed it. Now, here, if I my, the reason I give this embarrassing story is to illustrate something very clearly, and that is, if I went and saw Kevin Mitnick speak, my hero in terms of like all things hacking and, and so forth, social engineering, 
and I've read his books and everything. I, I heard him speak, and I saw him do this demonstration, and I wrote an article about it mm-hmm. for InfoWorld. And then the very day the article goes live, I click a link. What does that tell you? It tells you anyone will click a link, right? That's what makes people the heart. So they hit right someone, at the heart. They did, and it's it's an honest mistake. I mean, you hear about but stories of people. Yeah, honest, you know, making that honest mistake, and and it can right. destroy your life if it's the wrong link. But they, but the, but these people, they're 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 hitting it at the heart. They're going after you on a personal level because they know, oh wow, it, it's a personal thing. What do you mean these numbers are different? This is going to affect my income. It, it, it's very. Yeah. I've, we we did a phishing test um, where I work as well, um, and I've seen some of these these emails that come through. That are legitimate phishing emails and it's not part of our test and uh, and I've, I'm like wow I would believe that I mean right. it's like it, it's real it's yeah. very personal like oh I'm st- uh, what was it um I need you to uh, um not FedEx money <laughs> transfer, <laughs> wire transfer money right wire uh, transfer that we are um something is going on here or this lawsuit blah 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 we need it right away and it's like I mean it's like it's real. It's almost like they're reading um, the emails that have been going back and forth between these people. It, it was so legitimate, but it was it was it was it was a phishing, and they were just like, "Wow, that they they're going after on the personal level." Right, and, and the thing is, they don't send out hundreds of emails. Right, they target, they target individuals in the company. Now, the thing with this is, you can do all the training you want, but you cannot train people to not click links like that. It's just not going to happen. People are going to click those links. So what you need is you need tech technology on the back end that's going to protect your end users. Now here's the thing. You know, built into Office 365 in Exchange Online Protection, they recently released a new feature called Advanced Threat Protection. This is meant to be an added feature. Now it's $2 per user per month. The problem is, is it includes safe attachments and safe links. It's meant to try to help with spear phishing attacks, which is you know becoming such a huge problem. Mm-hmm. The issue I take with it is that in its current version 1.0 state, it doesn't do that. It doesn't have the ability to do that. Uh, for example, safe attachments, that will take emails with attachments, and every attachment, it, it puts it in a what they call a detonation chamber, but really all it is is a VM. It's a sandbox. And the thing is, is with with attachments that have you know uh, malware attached, um, you know perhaps using macros and things hidden within, a lot of times smart malware can detect when it's running in a, a sandbox. So that feature, you know, a sandbox is only as good as the sandbox you're using. But okay, so it's a little better than nothing. But it's you know it's still it creates latency and you're still paying for it. The other thing is the safe links feature, which is really nothing more than an updated manual blacklist it doesn't actually go out to the site to check to see if someone sends you a, a spear phishing email and you click a link it doesn't go out and check the site that you're going to it doesn't check the site links off of that site because that's how they get you it's not just the site you're going to but where do those links go to there should be additional checks but this new advanced threat protection doesn't do that so that's where if you're going to look at security and this is kind of what I talk about uh, you know in a lot of these sessions I give around the, the, the globe here um, you have to know what Microsoft is providing and unfortunately they are they are working on it but I still believe that you need a defense in depth you know secondary layer because of these types of scenarios like the spear phishing scenarios that are, are coming at targets and you know and uh, Sony 
um, I think that we're open to attack if we don't have another so solution or layer on top of things. Yeah, it's amazing, amazing stuff to be thinking about. So we are um, at time. So, Jay Peter, thank you so much. It's been a really enlightening conversation. And I feel like we could keep talking and talking and talking, so we should probably try to plan you have, have you on again if you're interested. Definitely. Sure. Um, so, again, thank you. I just want to say you sound like a rap star. Yeah. Ah, that's because Jay Peter. Peter, that's my rap Jay name. Jay Peter, rapper. <laughs> You know, it's funny because um, I, about six months ago, I started, uh, I had like this funny idea for a line of books called Conversational Geek. And so about six months ago, we launched the Conversational Geek line of books. And um, so my middle, my first initial J is the name of the, the main cartoon character. Um, I've never done a cartoon of him as a rap star, but now you've got me thinking. Oh, you have to. Oh, you have to. I like that. You have to. Star. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Yeah, like, I will. I'll ask the cartoonist to draw a J up as a rap star. Maybe with like a big gold chain with a J. Yeah. Oh, right? yeah. You gotta, totally get you gotta get like a nice grill, too. Yeah. Nice. Okay. <laughs> I'll ask him to do that. That's funny. The exchange like, grill. You know? yeah. Now, you guys remember, because you worked with me on the Conversational Exchange book. You both worked with me on that, and we had some cartoons there. But Jay yeah. was never uh, he was never a rap star, so maybe we'll no. when we do the Exchange 2016 version, we'll, we'll do that with him. We'll make him a rap yeah, star. I, there I believe I was a club bouncer in the you one were. cartoon. That's right. You were a club bouncer in the yeah. one. <laughs> That's because you're so tough. I knew that you were so strong. That you could <laughs> bounce I'm always at the club. I don't know. <laughs> well, may maybe that's just, you know, a foresight into, you know, the future where, you know, JP, there's the, the rapper and I'm the bouncer in the club that you're going to be. You're working at the club. <laughs> so I'm trying right. to figure out what my role should be in this uh Hmm, we got the rapper, the bouncer. How about I'll just be the bartender? Okay. Yeah, hey, that works. Every we, <laughs> Everybody loves the bartender. Yes. <laughs> Always be nice to the bartender. <laughs> All right. We need to sign off. So um, everybody, thank you for watching current status this evening. Jay Peter, thank you for joining us. And everybody, let's have a great night. Yeah, thank you, and in a couple days, this should be loaded onto iTunes. So if you didn't catch us live, you can listen to us uh, on your um, iTunes. I, sorry, I'm just completely lost. <laughs> <off. laughs> Hi, Pat. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. <laughs>